Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host, and I'm also the host of the MedTech Leaders community. Today's episode, Turn Your Leads into Clients with Properly Executed Email Campaigns, is the second in our series on demand generation. And we know that demand generation is very important right now and will be for the foreseeable future in the med tech community because our traditional means of demand generation are not available to us like they used to be. To help us with this today is Jeanette Castaneda, who is the chief email geek at Inbox PI. Jeanette will take us through the fine points of why email can be so powerful when done the right way. And as a teaser, I want to show you this graph. On the left side of this graph, you see email campaign results that are not so good because they haven't been done correctly. As the results move to the right, you see good, solid email campaign strategies and tactics being implemented and paying off. A minute ago, I mentioned that I'm the host of the MedTech Leaders community. In this community, we bring together leaders and sales and marketing professionals to help each other with best practices, problems, solutions, ideas, and successes. And we support this with a really strong series of subject matter experts like the one we have today with Jeanette. You can take a tour of the community for free for 30 days to see if you think it's a place you might belong. You will find sharp people and great content that will help you succeed. Now, let's get together with Jeanette Castaneda to find out how to make our email campaigns pay off and turn leads into clients. Jeanette, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's really great to have you here today. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot about emails that we didn't know before, especially those of us like me that have been frustrated with the results that we get from email campaigns. I'm delighted to be here, Ted. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great. And for all the listeners and viewers, this is the second of our demand generation series. <clears throat> Last week, we had Bob Iasillo. This week, we have Jeanette. Next week, we've got Jeanette. And then we move on to probably a platform provider and so on. But this is about demand generation. And we're and so that's what Jeanette and I are going to talk about. And it's really important for a number of reasons, which we'll get into in a second. But first, I would like Jeanette to introduce herself a little bit, tell us about what she does, and tell us about her company. Please. Sure. Absolutely. So I am the chief email geek. I'll explain that term later (laughs) at Inbox PI. Um, And what I do for my clients is I help them capture, nurture, and convert leads at scale. Okay. Okay. And then how did you get into this? Well, I started out as a general uh, digital marketer. And there's a saying inside the email marketing community that email, you don't pick email, email picks you. And every single email marketer that I've ever spoken to um, says the same thing. They 
stumbled upon the role simply because it was a part of their other duties and they fell fully in love. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was in charge of, um, you know, strategic and implementation for an agency at my first job after I finished uh, my master's degree. And I fell in love with email. And um, I've been doing email ever since. It's it's trackable. It's really something that you can maneuver and and engage with and convert clients with. Um, the possibilities of email are endless, and I just absolutely love it. And how long have you been doing this on your own now as um, Inbox yeah. PI? Yeah, I 2000, uh, 2018, end of 2018 is when I decided I wanted to go out on my own. Um, agency work is incredibly rewarding, but when you're working with individual clients, the, the breadth of things that you can learn and implement um, is much greater. And I really wanted the opportunity and the flexibility to be able to do that. Sure. And you have worked with some life science type of companies. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Two thirds of my clientele, my clients uh, are healthcare, B2B healthcare clients. So they either develop software or create furniture or uh, create apps specifically for the healthcare industry. And they um, speak directly to hospitals and health systems. That is their main market. Okay. Okay. Very good. So we're going to go back for a second to the overall subject, which is demand generation. And I'm just going to share a slide here for everybody and to sort of describe what our problem is. And I'll go ahead and put that on. um, Okay. So can you see that? Is it sharing properly? Okay. So this is our problem is that field sales forces cannot prospect face-to-face because we have these guidances from the AMA, CDC, AdvaMed that essentially say stay out of doctor's offices and stay out of hospitals. And, and, and the reason for that, of course, is in a doctor's office, in a lobby waiting area, if people were waiting, socially distanced, they're probably older people, they probably have co- comorbidities, and they don't want a salesperson in there that's been in five other places during the day. Same thing for a hospital. Exactly. Then you've got the field sales forces. They lack the tools and training to prospect virtually. At least most of them do. Some are trying to come up to speed, but most of them lack the tools and training. Our traditional trade shows are gone, which have been a big source of leads for um, for med tech and life sciences. And the virtual trade shows have been disappointing. The shows that have been replacing the traditional style, the virtual style, have been really disappointing. And we're going to have a panel on that in a couple weeks where we get several people that have had experience with virtual trade shows to share their experiences and discuss what this means in terms of going forward. Webinars remain disappointing, and that's probably a reflection of the technique of generating the webinar. And then we have this tradition in med tech, which is that most small to medium-sized med tech companies are technology and sales driven. And when I say medium-sized, I'm talking up to $100 million, $150 million companies. They're still technology and sales driven. Marketing people act as gophers. Go for this, go for that. We need a new brochure. Okay, here it is. So uh, that's the problem we have in, de- in this COVID era where the traditional means of demand generation 
are gone. So I'll unshare for the moment here and get back to us. And so that's a definition of our problem. And then when we start talking about demand generation, as I started talking to people like you, Jeanette, and some other people, um, it came, became clear to me that we have this spectrum of the way people try to address demand generation. And of course, the traditional way, which I just talked about, was having salespeople prospecting. But in absence of that, we have a lot of other things. So on the one side of the spectrum, which I would call um, really the weak side, is ad hoc type of demand generation techniques. And a good example of that would be you send out an email here, you send out an email there, you do an email advertisement, but it's not really planned. I call it ad hoc. Mm. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you would have uh, the other part of the ad hoc might be a webinar. You do a webinar, but then the follow-up on the webinar is, is not that terrific or the execution of the webinar is not that terrific. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, you have very complex platforms where you, where you mix marketing automation with emails and CRM. And when I say really complex, this to describe this side of the spectrum, somebody goes into your website, they find something they like, like a, a white paper and or a webinar they want to watch. And in doing so, they've identified themselves. Now that data, that identification and how much time they spent, they get a lead, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, a lead factor or a lead ranking or a lead score is assigned to that person And that data then is transferred over to the CRM. And depending on the lead score and the products or services that person expressed interest in, it's going to trigger a series of emails. And depending on how they react to those emails, it will trigger the sales rep to follow up. So that is the far side of the spectrum in my mind. And I could be wrong. Jeanette, your comments on that. Yeah, that is the ideal, actually, what you just described. The, the, the lead score goes up and down depending on the person's behavior. Uh, the idea is that the behavior is expression of interest or lack of interest. And the scoring um, is applied so that when the lead becomes a, a sales qualified lead, then a salesperson can reach out to that individual. Right, right. Yeah. And then in the middle of this, so in the middle of this spectrum from the ad hoc to the quite sophisticated marketing automation and CRM coordination and so on and so forth, we have other things that we can do that are steps toward the more complicated, but still very, very effective. And they really help serve demand generation. And so that's one of the things we want to talk about today on that spectrum where we're actually making progress and doing something that's more effective strategically and tactically, we want to talk about how to do email right, email campaigns correctly to help nurture leads, bring them further into the funnel, the sales funnel, and make them more valuable. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week with Jeanette, we're going to talk about, go a little further into the other part of the spectrum and talk about what that really means. What I just explained is one of the first steps we can take 
toward more effective demand generation is the proper use and execution of an email campaign. Jeanette, what are the key elements to a successful campaign? Let me let me share my screen. Okay. So what happens with email campaigns is that there are at least, depending on how you organize things, um, 10 different ways in which you organize a campaign, you create the campaign, and you implement the campaign. You have campaign strategy and goals. You have list segmentation. You have the design and the rendering and the coding of an email. You have the copywriting. And then you have things like testing, the reports, and then like you you discussed, um, the marketing automation and managing the actual ESP. And what happens with all of these, and the question that you asked was, what are the key elements? And the answer is they all work together. So just like a chain, whenever something, uh, there's one aspect that is weaker than the rest, they will, um, it will break the chain. So what you want to do as you're working on your email is you want to make sure that you start strengthening each link uh, until you have a pretty strong chain that gives you the results that you're looking for. The way you want to think about the way the way that I think about marketing and the way that I think about email is first of all, email is 42 years old. <laughs> and as you may not know, depending on how old you are, being 42 is not the same thing as being 20. And email has advanced considerably and changed as technology has evolved. This is the era of the empowered consumer. What that means is that I, as the consumer, have every right to kick you out of my inbox. I have every right to put out an ad blocker on my browser so that I'm not seeing any advertising. And almost 43, 45% of the population uses ad blockers on a regular basis. There are things called spam filters that are automatic so that it may or may not be possible for your email to reach a person at all. So that the consumer is empowered. And what that means is that it is incumbent upon us, the marketers, to make sure that we are providing the user experience that is necessary, that is useful to the customer or the or the prospect, and that will attract them to us. Um, and so, you know, most people who look at marketing, they look at it from the perspective of a funnel, right? Which is you have a broad number of people at the top and you're you're narrowing those people, you're filtering those people out until you get somebody who's going to be a consumer or a customer. The problem with that is that it's very transactional. It's a very transactional perspective. And consumers are no longer interested in being treated as numbers and transactions. They want to make sure that the experience is cohesive. So um, this here that you're looking at right now is called the flywheel from HubSpot. And the way that they look at it is um, every interaction with a customer is a cycle. So you attract strangers, you engage prospects, you delight customers, they turn into promoters who help attract more strangers. And when we look at what we do inside our websites and inside our marketing to create a user experience and to convert people into customers is we attract them to our website, 
And that can be any number of ways. Um, we do it through social, we do it through search engines, we do it through advertising, we do it through third-party partnerships with perhaps a publisher. But all that, all that attraction leads people into your website. And ideally, they're, they're going to a landing page. And what happens after that is once they go to a landing page and they submit a form, then they get churned into the email marketing, marketing automation cycle that takes takes people through the scoring that we discussed before and then uh, converts them into sales qualified leads. That was a long answer to your short question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. Actually, I really like this um, this so-called flowchart. It is very interesting and and revealing. So, no, that's good. I like that. Okay. <clears throat> and I did I interrupt you before? Were you going to go into some other information before I made you? <laughs> dash I was. Down here? You 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 took me out of you took me out of the order that we had <laughs> agreed. But I I mean, hey, what the heck? I don't care. Um, yeah. The one the one thing that I wanted to talk about around the empowered consumer is that the very first primary thing that you should do when you're looking at your emails is you need to stop thinking of your emails as transactional opportunities. You need to do a shift in your mindset where you, you're achieving your goals by helping your subscribers achieve their own goals. So whatever problem you are solving for your customers, that problem needs to be addressed and you need to make the customer, the prospect see how you're addressing that, um, that problem. And when you solve that problem, i.e. they realize that you can help them, then they'll purchase from you. So um, a lot of people send emails out and they talk about themselves. My company does this. My company does that. Our company is the best. Rah, rah, rah. I don't care. I don't care. I care about myself. How is your company helping me? Um, and if you start with that perspective in mind, then that will inform everything about how to create a splendid email marketing campaign. So every email that you go take out should be wanted, and we'll talk about list health later, should be helpful, should be well-segmented, and should be customer-focused. And by, by well-segmented, what I mean by that is anybody in B2B knows that it is rare when a company has only one person in charge of making a purchase decision. Um, often there's a purchasing committee and you have to talk to each individual in the purchasing committee from the perspective of what it is that they need to hear. The finance person is not going to be the, the same, is not going to have the same concerns as the facility person, um, as the chief of radiology, for example. So you need to make sure that your message is being sent out to the people and speaking to the pain points that they're that they're suffering from that you can help fix so that was my that was my little thing that I was going to um, say to you uh, before we launched into the the key elements is that it's an attitude shift we have to shift our attitude when it comes to email marketing right right now this is excellent okay very good well I'll let you keep going so um, so these are all the elements that I mentioned before, right? They all work together. Right. Um, but the, the first two are the most crucial at the beginning of a campaign. We talked about strategy. You have to talk to the people about their pain points, not about how wonderful you are. And the number two is your list health and segmentation. 
And by that, I mean, you know, if your email, you can spend all the time that you want on making your email look pretty, on having the right copywriting, on making sure that everything is rendering correctly. But if the email isn't being seen, if the email is not going to the right people, you've wasted all that time, energy, and money. You know, so the things that I'm going to talk about now, there's a a couple of terms I'm going to throw around, and I want to make sure that everybody understands what I mean. Sure. ESP is a short-term phrase for email service provider. Those are the MailChimp's HubSpot at constant contact of the world. Those are the, the, the software that you use to send your emails out. An ISP is an internet service provider. That's the people who, who put the cable in your house or in your office and give you internet. But they also not only provide that, but they also do some filtering um, around you know what packets come through, when the packets come through, and how they come through. And then there's the email client. And that's the technology that you and I use to open our emails and read them. So those are the three terms that I'm going to be using throughout the presentation. And uh, if you if I come up with something else that I didn't explain, <laughs> just let me know. I'll be okay. happy to explain it. But like I said, you know, like email marketing is 42 years old. It started in 1978. It was the first mass email that went out. And between then and the late 90s, was what I call the wild west of email. That's the times when if you're old enough to remember, you would turn, you know, dial up on your modem, um, download, wait an interminable interminable amount of time for the emails to download onto your computer, and then you would open them. And two-thirds of those emails, if not more, were complete spam. And there was no way for you to organize that spam, filter it out, or put it anywhere. So you were just forced to go through all those emails in your inbox and weed out the real ones that you wanted to read. And then in 2003, the U.S. passed the Can Spam Act, which started making things more complex, where now we have a spam folder and we have spam filters. And so email, like I said before, has evolved. Now you know, more than 40% of people read their emails exclusively or almost always on their phones. And as the laws have changed and privacy is changing, and like what I said before, the empowered consumer, um, GDPR in Europe and CCPA in California are both laws that deal with data privacy and give the consumers more power um, to determine what's what go what they're uh, what kind of messages they are exposed to the way that we access and provide email is crucial and list health impacts deliverability and deliverability impacts list health i want to make sure that that we understand what that means if that is something that we have time to do because deliverability um, is one of the cornerstones of your email marketing program. Absolutely. Okay. So what does deliverability mean? What I mean by that is I send an email out using MailChimp, for example, and you, it lands in your inbox. Now, if it lands in your inbox, if you're using Gmail or Yahoo or any or Outlook, if it lands in your inbox and in your promotions tab, if it lands anywhere except for your spam folder in our business, that means that that email has been delivered. 
if the email arrives in your inbox and it automatically lands in the spam folder, then that email does not count as being deliverable, um, delivered. It, it may look from your perspective, the sender, that it has been delivered, but if the person doesn't see it, it, it isn't delivered because it's in the spam folder. And so the question is how, how does an email land in a spam folder? And there's a lot of different things that matter in terms of that. And you need to know about them because it, you may be doing certain things in your email marketing that are causing those emails to be landing in the spam folder when they shouldn't be. Yeah. So, so one of the things that you, that you, that we need to talk about is open rates. If you send out 5,000 emails and only 2% of those emails are opened, that is a clear red flag for everybody, all the, all the email clients involved, that your email is not wanted. And so what, what the Gmails and the Outlooks and whatever the spam filters are that hospitals are using, because the IT departments inside of hospitals and health systems, they are using spam blockers and spam filters, even though you may not see them you know, at your desk. So they all see the open rates being really low and they determine that to be lack of interest. And that means that your next send is most more likely than not to be sent to the spam folder. So there's some type of an algorithm that essentially grades the response to what you've sent out and then, yes. and then affects future mm-hmm. emails. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The other thing is unsubscribe rates. If a large chunk of people who get your email unsubscribe immediately upon receiving it, that's another that's another sign that says, oh, these these people may not have signed up for these emails. You know, these people may may have just been added to a list without their consent, and therefore they unsubscribed. Here's a tricky one: if somebody deletes your email without even opening it, that's another way of raising a red flag to that algorithm. And of course, messages that are marked as spam, that's also something that raises a red flag. So the email client is looking at all this behavior inside a user's inbox and determining what to do with future emails that you send out. Um, other things that affect deliverability are content, um, code, copy, image sizes. We're not going to get a lot into that because it's a lot more technical, but the, 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 end, the end message in, in that is that your behavior around how you obtain your email lists and what kind of information you're providing uh, to your subscribers and how useful that information is and how wanted it is affects the success of your future campaigns. So so when it comes to, li- we're, st- we're still on the topic of list health, right? Yeah, right. So the other thing that we're doing around list health is, <clears throat> and one of my the biggest things that I have to educate my clients on is that they think that they can purchase an email list from a vendor and upload it to their email, to their ESP, and then use that list to send emails out. That is a fantastic way for you to get yourself blocklisted. 
a lot of these companies who sell you emails are scraping emails off the internet, which means that they have software programs that, that run through web pages and just every time they see an email list, they grab it and they capture it. <clears throat> there are companies, let me go to the next slide so that we can see. There are companies that run and man maintain blo uh, block lists. So what happens is if your behavior as a sender is so egregious um, and you're breaking all sorts of rules, these companies will add you to their list. So they'll add, you know, examplecompany.com to a list of blocked senders. And what they do with these companies is they compile this list and then they sell it to people like ISPs, who remember I told you filter some of the data that comes through their lines, the free email mailbox providers, so Google, Yahoo, Hotmail, and they sell it to anti-spam vendors. And those anti-spam vendors are the ones um, that are, you know, that are used by the IT departments inside hospitals and health systems and in other places. So um, we use we use Verizon here at our home, which mm -hmm. is also my office. So Verizon would be buying these block lists. They would be, but more importantly, the folks at Apple Mail or if you have a firewall installed like a Norton Utilities installed on your machine, uh -huh. um, that list is also sold to them as well. Okay. So there are there are multiple places. So the one thing that you don't want to do is get listed in one of these company, uh, you know, databases because when you do, then your emails just don't go through at all. Hundred percent of your emails get bounced. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's um, bad. <laughs> it, that's really bad. So what right. you want to do um, is you want to make sure that you're not making these mistakes. And so when you purchase a list from an uh, somebody who didn't initially opt in the people who are on the list, um, they can run. So these companies that I told you about that, that create those block lists, they go and populate the internet with what is called honeypots, <laughs> typo emails, fake emails, disposable emails, emails from dormant accounts, um, roll accounts. If your list contains any of these things, then your if your email service provider, your ESP doesn't catch them, then the spam filters will catch them. So in one way or another, purchasing that list is incredibly risky and um, it's incredibly expensive for you because you're putting all this money into creating email campaigns that are not reaching any real people. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So purchasing lists is really, is really frowned upon inside the email marketing community because not only is it, not only is it illegal <laughs> to send somebody an email when they didn't tell you that it was okay to send them an email, a marketing email. Um, but it's also, and it's also, you know, from a user perspective, from the empowered consumer user perspective, it's also useless because people who really care about their privacy are not going to buy from somebody who sent them a message that was unsolicited. But this diagram here shows you, how, you know, how that message can be is processed before it reaches human human eyes. It you know, it the sender sends it, it gets received, then it goes through. You know, that the spam house data, for example, is one of the companies that keep track of these um, block lists. And then the software inside your email client has a policy decision to make. They can either reject the message outright, accept the message, or tag it as spam 
and apply filters to it. So it's a, it's a process that it can be a bit complicated to understand, but if you're doing email the right way and you're not buying lists, you don't have to worry about it. Okay. So that's, no. uh, that's my little spiel on why you shouldn't buy lists. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I've always been really interested in more of the details around that. And that's, that's really fantastic. So then the question is, okay, so here I am, I have no trade shows that I can go to. Um, I'm going to all these virtual, you know, conferences, but I'm not able to network with people the way I'm, I am able to, if I have a booth at a conference. Um, so what do I do? And so what you need to do is you need to build your own opted in list. And you do that by creating an inbound marketing plan. And you partner with people like the publishers. You know, I know that in the in the healthcare industry, there are publishers who have their own email lists, and you pay them a certain amount of money to either deploy your email um, for, on their behalf or to put a, a snip, an ad, or a snippet of information inside their own email newsletters. So that is another way to do it. And you want to create a lead generation engine, the one that I showed you earlier with the attract and then convert and the light in it. So we have reached the part about ROI if you want to talk about that or we can talk about something else. Well, let's go back to the previous slide um, if you don't mind. Um, this one or that one? No, the the build your own. Yep. What's an email marketer do? Build your own opted-in list. Yep. Because that is, you know, it is challenging to do do you help people with strategies for building out their own opted-in list? I do. Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's part of the lead generation um, work that I do for my clients. And what are a couple tips for this? Because this is an example of a an emerging growth company or a, a startup, a med tech startup, and the marketing manager has just been hired and or the director of sales has just been hired and they're, they're walking in the door and they're starting from scratch. They, they have little to no list. Okay. So the first thing that I advocate people do is do some voice of customer research. <clears throat> if it's a brand new company um, that developed a product, they should have done some voice of customer research in the product development phase. If that research is less than 12 months old, then we can use that research. If it's a company that has some track record of sales, anywhere from six months to a year, then your sale, the people who have been in the front lines of sales, um, those are the people who will tell you what the objections are or have been for purchase. And the objections and the pain points are important. There's many ways of doing voice of customer research. Um, talking to your salespeople is one of them. Mining um, customer support calls is another one. Um, contacting your customers and interviewing them and asking them not about the product, but about their purchase decision and how their life is different now that they're using your product or service. You know, there's a, a whole myriad of places that you can start. But the, what you're trying to get at is those pain points that I talked about before and those concerns. What problem are they looking to solve and why haven't they solved it yet? And those are the two key questions. Once you have an answer to that, you can start building some copy and some content um, and some strategies around how to solve those, how to, how to present your solution the right way to your customers. 
or prospects. So I imagine ways to other ways to build a list could be, let's say you've got the solutions and you know what the content is and how you should communicate it. So on your website, you provide some information that backs up those particular solutions. So it could be white, white papers and so on that yep. somebody might have to register for mm-hmm. to have the privilege of being able to download it. And so here you've got somebody that's indicating an interest. They download something that in, in return, you get their name and their email address. So that might be one way you could do a webinar. And even though webinar uh, attendance can be pretty bad, in other words, if 100 people register for the webinar and 30 people show up, the fact is you still have 70 people that registered, so you have all their information. Exactly, and you that, need that to you nurture those, yeah. Right, so yeah. there are ways you can start to to make some investments that not only educate some people and start moving a nurturing program forward, but capture others. And, and when it comes to webinar, yeah, the attendance rates are really low, but a lot of people are used to the fact that if they register for something, they know that um, a, a, an on-demand webinar will be available yep. later, later yep. Yep. so that they can have access to. So, so they, yeah. it still can be valuable. Not only that, but listen, I I register for any number of webinars and I have my my Fridays are my education day and I spend Fridays listening to these webinars at twice the speed because I get I can get through everything. Ah. Um, and I and I and I learn a whole bunch. So yes, there are people out there, I'm not the only one. There are people out there who will watch those webinars. But but in terms of an answering your question, creating white papers, creating case studies, creating infographics, you know, creating a solid, you know, solid pieces of content, and then using all your methods at your disposal to to peop, to drive people to that landing page, um, you know, using social media to drive people, using advertising, using partnerships with publishers. There's a lot of different ways for you to do that, making sure that your SEO is optimized, that your landing page is optimized for SEO and you're hitting the right keywords. You know, all that contributes to building traffic that will take people to their landing page that you can fill out and convert people. And actually, if you were addressing the right kind of medical community that you might be able to target on something like Facebook, as Bob was describing in the previous a video cast that we had, that would be also an, an interesting way to try to create, build your own list by getting those people to respond, go to a landing page and so on and so forth. So there are some techniques. I just wanted to make sure we covered that. And by the way, I think your idea of saving up webinars and then play, playing them at like 1.25 or 1.5 speed, because you can adjust the speed on YouTube and, and other mm-hmm. places. That's yeah. a great idea. And the fact that you you take a uh, part of a day as your education day and really focus on that, I think it's awesome. I think everybody that's listening should should hear that. And yeah, you can watch my video casts and you can even play my podcasts at a higher speed frequently. So do it, do it, and get more stuff in. <clears throat> okay, so that's a sidetrack. <laughs> so back back to the the task at hand. You were you, we were making progress here, and I made you go back. But I yeah. thought that was important. How to build your list? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so then you were you asked me earlier about ROI, right? You wanted to know what's the return on the investment because you know you have to invest on somebody with email marketing expertise, whether that's the, a consultant like myself, or you 
you bring somebody on board uh, in-house. You need to invest in software and then all the time and energy that goes into producing the content and then producing the emails. First of all, I want to go back to the empowered consumer again. <laughs> right. Um, email is the preferred communication channel for advertising and marketing messages. People appreciate having control over their inboxes. They're at work. It's, they're feeling sluggish at, after lunch. They have time to, quote unquote, futz around not feeling very productive, that's when they go into their uh, marketing folder and read whatever emails are coming through. They want to make sure that they have the right to do that. Um, they can't do that in social media, you know, if they're if they're trying to waste time on social media, <laughs> right, catch up on their friends or whatever, and an advertising pops up, it may or may not be effective. They don't really appreciate being told what to buy when they're not in the mood to buy. But when the customer is in the mood to buy, they will go to their email and they will look at their marketing emails to see what it is that they want to try to resolve, what issue they're trying to resolve. So that's number one. Email is the preferred communication channel for marketing messages. And on top of that, when it comes to marketing channels, email delivers the highest ROI. I have seen anywhere between 38 to 42 quoted as an average. So for every dollar you spend, you get a return of 38 to 42. That obviously changes depending on your industry and the, the sale amount that you're making and the, the, length, the length of your sales cycle. But it is by far the highest ROI channel compared to everything else. So regardless of whether you're getting a three three to one ROI or a 42 to one ROI, ROI, you're still getting a better ROI on email than you are on social or page search or anything else um, that's available to you as a, you know, as a marketer. Okay. Yeah, that was actually a, a, a question we were going to talk about was what yep. are the most uh, common mistakes? Yeah, the most common mistakes like I said, are using a purchase list. Right. I also mentioned before sending the same message to everybody. Again, the finance person and the facilities person is not going to be interested in the same questions or answers as maybe the chief of staff or uh, the whatever clinical personnel you're trying to target. Ignoring mobile is a big one. 40 to 50 or maybe even 60% of people, especially in the medical community, if you're targeting doctors, they they prefer opening their email on mobile uh, and they prefer opening their email on Apple. Um, <laughs> doctors seem to be very, uh, very attached to their iPhones. And in the United States, ignoring Outlook. Outlook messes around with your code and displays your emails in a very different way than you intended if you don't watch it. Um, and Outlook right now is around 45% of market share when it comes to business email. So ignoring Outlook when you're putting together your email code is also a big mistake. Okay. Because if, if people can't read your emails, you know, they, you lost them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk about is how do you, so we talked about that ROI, which sounds pretty fabulous, right? But how do you measure that? And how do you make sure that your investment inside email is paying off? So I want to talk to you about open rates because that's what is, what's called a vanity metric. What that means is that you can get super excited about your open rates being high, but they really don't 
mean as much as you want them to mean. And your goal as a business is not open rates, it's to sell sell your products and services, right? Right. And and how do you correlate open rates to products and service sales? You know, open rates are not accurate, first of all. Like we said before, if your open rates are calculated by a pixel, right? So if if somebody's got and it's, and Outlook is especially good at this at ignoring um, images and they default a lot of Outlook um, versions default to not downloading e- um, email images at all. So those are not counted. Ted mentioned earlier about you know the preview pane marking the email as open even though he actually didn't read it, right? So opens don't equal reads. And opens don't equal actions. You can have a really high open rate and zero clicks. You want your customers to cl- or your prospects to click on your emails. So open rates don't tell you that. And then industry averages, that's one of the most common questions I get is, you know, what is the best open rate or what is m- the best click-through rate? And the answer always is the best open rate, the best click-through rate is higher than it was the last time you looked. You always want to be comparing yourself to yourself and increasing and improving your own um, your own metrics. So then the question is, okay, so what metrics should I be paying attention to? You should be paying attention to open to click rates for um, the action that you want your prospects to take. And you also should be uh, looking at the negative reactions that you're getting from your for prospects, your subscribers. If your subscribers are unsubscribing, if your list has a high bounce rate or a high complaint rate, those are all negatives that you have to pay attention to and remedy right away. Um, and then engagement rate is another one. Not every ESP gives you an engagement rate. What that means is how long did somebody stay on each individual email? And, you know, some of the larger email marketing uh, programs will provide you with an engagement rate. They'll tell you if the person spent less than eight seconds, eight to I think it's eight to 30 seconds and more than 30 seconds. Every, every ESP does it a little bit different. Um, but some of them will give you the engagement rate. And that is definitely something that if you have it available to you, um, you should look at. So a question I have going back to the, when you were describing the algorithms that might pick up on the, on how your email is behaving and whether they should block it and, or, rank it in such a way that it's, I guess, um, provided in a less effective way to consumers is if you have a decent click rate, does that help you or do they not pay attention to that? Or if you have a big bounce rate, does that hurt you or an unsubscribe rate? I'd imagine that would hurt you. The unsubscribe rate hurts you. The bounce rate, you know, those are those again are specifics to the ESP. Um, okay. What you want to do if you're okay, so an email list on average has an attrition rate of anywhere between fifteen to twenty five percent a year. Think about it. People change jobs. People die. They retire. <laughs> um, companies fold. So your email list is always in in a state of attrition. 
It just is. So what you need to do, and this is part of list health, again, is on a regular basis, you have to remove the bounces from your list and right. suppress, suppress them so that they're not part of your send. Got it. Okay. Okay. So this is one of my clients. What I want to show you is that when I first started working with this client at the beginning of the year, their click-through rate was zero. They had opens and they thought their email marketing was doing great um, because they saw all these opens, but the, the, the client, the prospects, the subscribers were not taking any action. So you can have email open rates that look great, right? Like up here, you can see that something in that something happened up here where they had anywhere from a 20 to 30% open rate, but the click rate wasn't particularly good. So what you want to work on is definitely when you're looking at your own metrics, you definitely want to look at the range and how you're doing in comparison to how you were before. We have spent a considerable amount of time and energy bringing those click-through rates from zero up to about 7%. And the goal for 2021 is to bring that up to 15%. It may take a while to start gathering speed, especially if you're a very, very small company and you don't have the resources to crank out a bunch of uh, copy and, and you know, a content that you need to crank out. Um, but, but anything that you can start doing now to clean things up and make things better for you is only going to affect you positively in the future. Right. No, this is very interesting. Now, when did you get involved with this company? I got involved with them. I came on board at the middle of January and we had, and I started doing some customer voice of customer research was the first thing that we needed to do. And then the generating, the emails have been improving. I cleaned out their list, removed, not only did I remove the bounces, but I also started sending emails out in a tiered way so that what you do is you address, you send your first batch of emails to only the most engaged um, subscribers, those are the people who are more likely than not to open an email. And what happens is it improves your deliverability. So before you were sending out an email to 50,000 people and only 5,000 of them were opening, right? That is pretty low. And then you send a, a list, you send an email to this, a smaller list, but maybe it's 5,000 people but those people are more likely to be engaged and open your emails. And because of that, and you start doing that slowly but surely, the ESPs, uh, I'm sorry, the, the email clients start noticing that your emails are being opened at a high rate. And so fewer and fewer of your sends are being routed to spam. Okay, so, so and, for, for example, I showed you the other day when we were preparing for this, I was showing you my um, email um, service provider, which is iContact and, and, I have a small list of about 380 doctors for a particular purpose that I email to. And, and I believe it's up to, we were, we were at around 25% or 28% open. So what you're saying is if I took that subset of doctors, if I did the work and, and segmented that out into another list because they typically open Mm -hmm. And the next time I send out an email, I just do it to that small list, maybe the next two times, that might improve the ability for the rest of the list eventually to get a better reception. Yep, exactly. Wow. Okay. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so, so when you're looking at what to do and how to improve your email marketing, email cleaning up your list is, is primary um, because it is affecting how your emails are being delivered and, and where. But here, in this, in this example that you're showing me right now, you know, at the going into October, they're knocking on the door of a 5% click rate, which is actually pretty darn good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. especially compared to zero. I mean, I have, I have had clients with a click rate of up to 40%, wow. which, is, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and every case is different. So what I always have to tell my clients is don't compare yourself to other people. Just don't do it. It it's just brings you misery. Okay. Because yeah. your list and your your products and services are not exactly the same. Neither is your voice, customer voice, your your voice, your brand voice. Nothing about you is is exactly the same as your competitor. So work on improving your own your own statistics and your own metrics. All right. So how are we doing on covering ground? Well, we are pretty much at the end. Okay. Um, you had asked you you asked where to start creating an email list um, earlier, so we already right. covered that. And we're at the question and answer section. If unless you want me to talk about something else, the only thing well we well we covered that we covered the concept of content by doing the interviews with customers and understanding what their needs are and so on and so forth. So, I guess one thing is that it's actually fairly economical to get an expert like yourself to help a company. Yeah, it is. But the first thing that I ask my clients to do is let's take a look at creating some benchmarks from where you are now. And that includes your sales. How are your sales performing? How are your other marketing channels performing? And how is your email marketing performing? Um, And then we talk about an attribution method because I want to make sure that I prove to my clients that my the investment that they are that they are the money that they're investing in me is actually yielding a result for them and a return you know we talk about an attribution method how do you attribute sales to all your various marketing channels how do you attribute sales to email marketing and then we get to work and we do an evaluation at three months, six months um, and twelve months to make sure that we're hitting your sales targets that we're improving as much as we can improve on just about every aspect of the email marketing areas. Um, And to make sure that I want to justify the fact that they're hiring me. People go into business (laughs) to make money. And if I am not helping you do that, then why should you hire me? And so my, my numbers are always tied to revenue. Always. It's just, you know, it's just the okay. way that I do things. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I and I want to point out that um, Jeanette is a m- member of the MedTech Leaders community because mm-hmm. she is a collaborator in terms of a podcast and video cast. So she gets membership uh, for free as a gift for that. So if people have questions in the community, they can always um, reach out and address her. Absolutely. And you can also get a hold of me on uh, LinkedIn. Correct. And you can also get a hold of me um, via email. So I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and I'm always checking my email, <laughs> of course. Sure. So the community, absolutely. And also uh, by, via all these other places. I'm well, happy in the, to- sh- in the show notes, I will put your um, 
LinkedIn link. And I'll also put in your um, a link to your company. So those will be definitely in the show notes. Excellent. Any other final thoughts you might have? Uh, no. Email marketing is fantastic. I mean, it's it really is the only channel, the only marketing channel that is trackable where you can actually measure results. And it is the way that people want to be talked to. So why not use it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. This has really been terrific. And I'm glad you're going to be in the community so we can discuss this even more in the community with some of the community members and help lead them down the path of doing emails right, nurturing leads and improving their results. Yeah, that's what I live for. So, yes, absolutely. Okay. Very good. Thanks again, Jeanette. My pleasure. Thank you. It is amazing when you think about all the factors involved in getting your emails through to your targets. So how is your email list health? Are you segmenting your list to send the right message to the right people? Do you have an email strategy? Lots to act on now. In the show notes, you will find a link to Jeanette's LinkedIn profile link and a link to her website. You will also find a link to the MedTech Leaders community. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. If you like this podcast or felt it had some value, please forward it to a friend, rate it, and or subscribe. Now go win your week. Your week.